love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Lord, we need your illumination. So Holy Spirit, we ask. We ask for lights to come on as we consider your word. We ask that it would indeed go deep into our hearts to where it has a, a lasting effect, to where we know you deep within us. And, we, and our lives then begin to express that and the joy that that is. So Lord, we're, we come needy, but we come asking. Lord, please, we're, we're knocking, we're we're seeking, we're looking for you, and we know and we trust your promise that you will respond. So please respond this morning and change us by your word. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Here in this section of, of Ephesians, we have Paul turning into a prayer what he's just described in verses 3 to 14. Verses 3 to 14 have some of the most concise, powerful, poignant doctrines all in those verses to where I wonder if this prayer is also kind of a, a Selah moment for Paul kind of at, in Romans when he gets to the, the end of all of this doctrine that he's unfolding he, he just exclaims oh what are the depths of the riches of the glory of Christ I think this is part uh, of, of when Paul is just kind of rehearsing all that God has done and his promises and his greatness. He gets to these moments where he, he kind of gives pause because what we're seeing is that he's praying for the exact things that he just unfolded for them in those power-packed verses. And so we come to this section and saying, okay, Paul, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? And I think as we're studying Scripture and as we're looking at any Scripture, asking the question of why is always the most helpful. Why? And there's also a where. In the Old Testament, we just went through this with the teenagers last Wednesday night. In the Old Testament, the question is, where is Jesus? In the New Testament, it's where is the gospel? Jesus is proclaimed, he's revealed. Now, where's the gospel? Where's the work of Christ revealed that we can latch onto in our hearts? But as we're looking situationally at scriptures, we ask, Paul, why are you doing this? What's going on here? Why do you turn this into a praise and you're you're using the same words that you just unfolded in the, in the previous verses. And I think we, we get kind of a, an insight into Paul's, really, to his heart as a pastor. Because he's looking for us to experience what he knows is the reality of all that God has done. And God's work for us on our behalf through Christ. And, of course, he, he starts with thanksgiving. And there's a thanks that says, look, I'm thankful for you, Ephesians. 
He's thankful for their faith that he's heard about, that he's seen firsthand in starting the church himself and being there for years, that he knows people there. He knows the work of grace that's happened in their hearts. But also he tags that to, I know your faith as well as your love toward all the saints. And I think we, we can, as we look at Scripture, particularly First John, we see that two things are the greatest evidence for conversion. One is love for God, and the other one is love for God's people. So he's saying, I'm thankful because I believe you are genuinely converted. You are saved. Why? How do I know that? Because you trust God and you also love his people. And the Ephesians are excelling in that. He's very thankful for that. And, and that thanksgiving turns into a prayer. When he's, he's kind of letting them in, I've been praying for you, but I'm also always remembering you in my prayers. Look at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. And he kind of lets them in. Here's what I pray. And, and not that it's a, an ongoing prayer consistently interceding for the Ephesians, but here is a, when, when, he's brought to, when he's in prayer, these are the things that are floating to the surface for, for Paul for the, on behalf of the Ephesians. And I think for Paul on behalf of everybody that he's, he's had a work in, in starting, in an apostolic ministry and starting these churches and the investment that he has that he's put forth in them. But he's, he's letting them know, here's, here's the things that are bubbling to the top. And he begins, that verse 15, those first three words, for this reason. What reason? The reason of all that Paul has, has just unfolded in verses 3 to 14. For this reason. For the, the reason of all that God has done on your behalf through Christ. How he has adopted you. And he's redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He has sealed you with his spirit. That's all that God, for this reason, then he prays. And Paul is, uh, it's almost as if Paul doesn't want to move too quickly past what he's unfolded. So he kind of takes a pause moment to say, hold on a second. Let's think about this. And I think prayer provides that for every believer. Prayer provides a time of just kind of being before the Lord to, to soak in all that he's done and to, to relish the work and um, soak in the work that he's done. I think of it almost like a, you know, Paul's, he doesn't want to just move too fast. It, it's not like he's saying, look, God has done this, and now let's get to what we're supposed to do. He's saying, God has done this. Hold on, let's think about that. In the form of a prayer, I'm praying for you for you to realize these things even in a deeper way. And so now, before we move on, because the kingdom is advancing and, and Paul's apostolic ministry, even as he's writing this in prison, these prison epistles with Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, he's, he's saying, look, my, my, he knows his time is coming to an end, but he knows the kingdom is still advancing, but he's saying, hold on, let's, let's not go too quickly. Let's make sure these things are in front of us in a particular way that as we advance the kingdom of God, we're still aware of it, kind of like a rearview mirror. The rearview mirror is all, it's letting you know what's behind you, but it's always in front of you. You never position the rearview mirror behind you because you can't see it. It's almost as if Paul is saying, look, rem these promises, the promises and the power that he's just unfolded, these are, these are yours. They are to bless you. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Remember that. Look, you're advancing. God wants you to advance. There's things we ought to be doing as believers, so let's advance. But hold on. Capture these things and make them always in front of you. Make them the reason of why you're doing these things. Uh, and and we, find, we find there's fuel in our lives. There's fuel to our prayers as we're remembering the promises of God. I think for Paul, 
the promises and the power that he unfolded becomes the fuel for his prayer for the Ephesians. But what's he going after? I think Paul is looking, he's, he's praying uh, for look, the words that he uses. In his prayer, Father, he mentions that earlier. Wisdom, that's found earlier. Knowledge, that's found in the previous verses. Hope, inheritance, glory. All of these, these prayer factors that he's got in there appear right beforehand. And I think Paul's looking, he's praying for the deepening of the work of God in the, believe, the hearts of the believers so that there's a, 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 a staidness to their faith. It's grounded on rock. I mean, when Jesus tells the, the parable of the, the man who went to go build a house and the one that built on the, upon the sand, the waves came and they knocked the house, to, they obliterated the house because the storms and the wave couldn't stand the storms and the wave. But we have another, the wise builder dug down deep, shored up, had a foundation. So when the waves and the storm came, it was able to stand. We find that word stand in Ephesians all the way in chapter 6. When you put on the armor of God, you're able to do what? Stand. So what's Paul saying? These promises, they have to go deep within us. So in that day, when the storms and the waves and the enemy comes and our buttons get pushed, because that's usually how the enemy comes in my life. He just, somebody pushes my button. What comes to the surface? Is it a, is it a foundation? Is it something that is deep within us. So Paul is, he's, he's praying for the deepening of the experience of the promises and the power that, of the work of God in Christ. Now just to, to take a pause moment so we can kind of understand the role of prayer for us in this deepening work, because Paul uses prayer to let them know, I'm praying for the deepening effect. Uh, if you think in the Old Testament, uh, I think one of the greatest illustrations in the Old Testament is Moses, who spends time with God on Mount Sinai. He's in God's presence. Now, in the Old Testament, God's presence was visited. You went to visit God's, it was the place, it was the temple, the tabernacle, and then the temple, that was the place. And even we find scriptures that say the whole world can look to that point and know God is there. That's where his presence dwells. That's where his presence abides and exists. And people came to visit that. They would visit it for their personal sacrifices two times a day. And they would also visit it for those feasts that you see all in the Old Testament. Even Jesus visiting Jerusalem during the feast. They would come and, and during those feast times, we have the picture of coming and abiding in the presence of God. Now for us today as believers in the New Testament, we have... Not the presence of God that's visited. The presence of God is resident within every genuine believer. But yet, we're supposed to still visit. We're supposed to still commune. And I think when we, when we think of prayer as only, because uh, I know a real terse way of, of describing prayer for somebody is it's communication with God. That is, but I actually think that it's, simp it's too simplistic. It takes one aspect of prayer and makes that prayer. And I think prayer is being in the presence of God, basking in his presence, communing with him. Now, within communing is communication where we are receiving something from the Lord and we're also having our hearts that we're pouring out on the Lord. But I think there's, a, and I think there's those moments of intercession in those times where, where the Spirit gives us a particular thing to pray for. And where does that come from? I think it comes from just being with God. 
just being in his presence and sitting there and dwelling upon and meditating upon the word and having what's happening in those moments. I, for me, the word of God is going deep down within me. And I'm experiencing in a way that, that I hope, I pray, that in those moments where the waves of the storm come, that that's what comes back up. And I think we find that example in Moses when he, he spent time, 40 days, 40 nights, in God's presence, so much so that he glowed with it. That's the, that's the power of the presence that he was in. Well, during that moment, he's asking the Lord, show me your glory. And we find this in Exodus 33 and 34 where he's just asking God for something. God, I, I see you, but I'm look, I, I need to feel it. I need to feel you. Show me your glory. You hear that cry from Moses. And he's, God says, okay, I'm going to hide you in the rock. I'm going to take my hand away, and you're going to see my backside. But when he sees that, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, who were not, who forgives iniquity and will not let the iniquity go unpunished. I mean, he sees God. And then track through Israel's history in the wilderness. They come in Numbers chapter uh, 12 and 13. The spies are sent into the promised land to spy it out. They come back. Ten of the 12 say, yeah, there's milk and honey, but there's also giants. And Joshua and Caleb say, yeah, there's milk and honey. I don't care about the giants. We'll take them down because that's what God said. And then the, the word is spread. The, the, the rumor mill, the gossip mill starts. And all through the, all the Israelite camp, everybody's murmuring and complaining again to where God says, that's it. I'm wiping them out. Moses, I'll start a new nation from you. God, at that moment, pushed Moses' button. What's in you, Moses? What's in you? He was the instigator of that. What's in you? How does Moses respond? Lord, if you do that, then no, you need to be true to who you've proclaimed yourself to be, that you are the Lord, you are gracious and compassionate, and you're abounding in steadfast love. You're forgiving in, of iniquities, and you won't let iniquity go unpunished. And what is he, he, in that moment when his button is pushed, he comes out with the character of God because it had so deep, and the experience that Moses had of that was so deep within him that that's what came out. I think that's partly what's happening when, when Paul's praying for the Ephesians. I think we can think of prayer in our own lives that way. When I'm sitting before the Lord, and I, 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 my kids know. That prayer, my prayer time's in the morning now that it's uh, warmer again on the back porch, and I've got my coffee right next to me, and I'm reading, and I'm spending time just sitting there. And every now and then the kids will come out, and the, my bedroom doors are right in the back, and they'll kind of peek out the curtains, just kind of look at me, and they know what's happening, but sometimes they'll open, are you praying? Yes, I'm praying. Sometimes they'll come out and just sit with me because they're just kind of wondering, what's happening right now? What's going on? Because Dad does this all the time. <laughs> I really enjoy those moments, but they end up becoming distractions sometimes. And I say, okay, it's time to go back inside because I can't concentrate. I'm looking at you and not thinking about God. Okay. So they head back inside. But I, I think... For me, those times of prayer become, Lord, I want, I want faith to be alive in me, and I want to get this word deep within me, and I want to think about it, and I want to, I just want to be with God, and I want to hear his voice, and I, 
what, I, what I've enjoyed growing in prayer is just the sense of being there and letting God bring up the agenda of what to pray for. So it's not so much, I mean, I've got my categories that I'm praying through and I'm interceding for, and those are very habitual. They, they come back over and over and over again. I'm looking to pray for those things. But sometimes it's just, Lord, what's on your heart that now I can begin praying about? I can begin sensing and thinking about mulling over, thinking about scriptures that, that speak to that. In those moments, I'm trusting that, that he is getting deep down in me. So in, when my buttons are pushed in the car or in the house, that, that the character of God rises back up to the surface. Paul is praying, I think, for, uh, for three things. He's praying for a depth of experience of the purchased reality that we have in Christ. He's praying for a depth of the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think he's also praying for a depth of experience of Christ's exaltation in our lives. And we'll go through those uh, <clears throat> piece by piece because I think there's some things to point out there in the purchased reality that we have... We have a reality contained in all the promises of what God has done for us in the beginning of chapter one, that Paul is saying, take these. I want you to know these. The first thing is know the Father of glory. Speaking of the reality of adoption, that he speaks about, what is that? In verse five, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. We have been adopted by God to where now we have the ability and the right to address him as father. If we are outside of Christ, if we are not in him, we are outside of him, that's an offensive thing. We may not direct him as father because a relationship has not been redeemed. But once that redemption and forgiveness has taken place, now we have the right to stand before him and dress him as father, as if we are Jesus himself saying, Father. And if, as if we have no sin standing in our way because of the work of Christ on the cross. That, that fatherhood of God for all of us needs to go really deep. He's also praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Jesus. I think he's speaking of the reality of gospel redemption and forgiveness that we find in verse 7. Let's go back and so we know what we're talking about. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We need wisdom to understand that. We need revelation to understand that because in our logic, in our human thinking, how does that work? We have redemption through his blood? Yeah, we can think, well, I can point to some other scriptures that talk about the reality of that being true, but I can't explain it. I can't feel that unless the Holy Spirit and God is giving me a wisdom and revelation just to be able to say, okay. You find a lot of times that's what re revelation is. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop trying to figure out why that is and just live in the reality of it, but also think of how it Im impacts me and how to live, out, live that out in my life, not try to figure out, well, God, why? Why did you choose me? Why? why? Yeah, that should, that's in our rearview mirror. God, why in the world did you choose me and not that person and not that person? But that motivates us. And we, at some point, we have revelation to say, you did it. Okay, thank you for 
produces a, a gratitude and a thankfulness that then turns into, I want to experience the depth of that in a way that, that uh, transforms and continues to transform. He then prays that in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Uh, what I, I'm an analytical type guy. And so I like everything to be very nicely in a row. And so whenever I'm reading through anything of Paul's, I like to try to think of what else is that he has written that coincides with that. And when I immediately see the eyes of your hearts, I, uh, I go directly to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul talks about that here it's God that has spoken. The God of this world seeks to blind our eyes, but God has spoken into our hearts, saying light. He's shown into our hearts what the light of the gospel. And we, we rehearse that and we go over and over with it as we study the face. In, in the Old Testament, the word for face is the same word for presence. And I think when Paul says the face of Christ, he's looking at all that he has done, but also the presence of Christ that we now get to experience. And as we do that over and over again, the eyes of our hearts are they're open. And we begin to see things almost as if it goes from black and white and color is starting to be added. And you say, whoa, now that, you know, you've, you've seen uh, old black and white films that they've now updated and colorized them and stuff and just kind of gives you a different perspective. Sometimes I'm, I, I prefer the black and white one because it just kind of seemed more natural, black and white. I don't know, like because the world was black and white, I guess. Uh, but when, when color is added, the, things are enlightened. We, we see the, the aspect and the effects of light in the picture. That's what we're praying for. Paul's praying for the Ephesian believers, I think ultimately for us, but we pray for ourselves. God, give me an, an enlightened eyes of my heart that I can see where your light shines in every category across the board. He prays for the hope of calling. I think this is the reality of future promises. That God will be in, he'll be in our future, he'll be there for our future, and he will be good for our future. There's a hope that we can have in our calling. Paul is saying, know it deep with inside of you. He's also praying that they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance. And I think this is the reality of a union with Christ. Because apart from Christ, we have, we have the inheritance of death. In Christ, we have the inheritance of life. But not only that, we have the inheritance of position. We have the inheritance of sonship, daughtership. We have the inheritance of relation. We have the inheritance of heaven. That is reserved. We have, we stand with Christ. We are heirs with Christ. So all that he has and all that he is, is ours for us to experience, for us to, to have deep within us. And I think as we, as we understand that riches word, I think it, uh, it attacks our sense that we have to have wealth uh, naturally. Because all of us desire that. All of us, even if that's just expressed in, I want to have enough money to be comfortable. Uh, we're looking for something outside of us. We're looking for a wealth that's defined outside of us. And I think Paul is saying, no, it's your wealth to realize that you will be found in him in that day and you will have his inheritance on that day gives us perspective for how we are walking out uh, the Christian life Paul's also praying for a depth of experience of power in verse uh, 19 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We are to know the greatness of a power that can't be measured. It can't be quantified. Now, I remember uh, back in college for um, math and physics classes, that little figure, uh, infinity, a little sideways eight that you have to draw. And I remember one time somebody in the class asked the professor, what does infinity mean? Why, why just, because his approach to that was, oh, it can't be figured out, infinity. I said, well, wait, it's got to be a reason. What, just, you're just going to say, oh, yeah, it's just left up to infinity. Why is that there? I mean, there's a, there was a character that could even be ascribed to infinity in physics and math. But think about this. There's nothing, no figure, no word that can measure God's great power toward us. He has power coming toward you. See, it's so easy for us to slip into, no, I only have power if I read my Bible in, every day. I only have power if I'm spending time in prayer. I only have power if I'm being nice to people. I only have power if I'm not cursing. I don't, uh, that's not how God operates. He's not waiting for us to do something in order for us to, re, for, and then for him to return or, or supply the power. He's saying, you have power. It's part of the inheritance. <laughs> You have power, and it's an immeasurable power that we get to experience deep inside of us. It's toward us, God leaning toward us, looking for opportunity, looking for, I think, looking for opportunity to express that power because it's in us. It's in us, in Christ. He has been, he continues in his promise for our power, and it's toward us. And, and think about this. That power, that Holy Spirit that we were sealed with is the same Holy Spirit that we see in the Gospels, the Old Testament, the Gospels, the Epistles, the rest of the New Testament. We have, so in essence, we think, have to think of it like this. The Holy Spirit that resides in me is able to say, David and Goliath, I was there. Elijah and the prophets of Baal, I was there. Birth of Christ, I was there. His baptism, I was there. Transfiguration, I was there. When he healed the sick, I was there. When he was on the cross, I was there. When he was raised, I was there. When he was taken up into heaven, I was there when he was poured out. That's me. I'm here. I sometimes I disassociate. It's almost like I have a, a sliver of the Holy Spirit, but everybody else had the full Holy Spirit. And that is, I, I need wisdom and revelation in that moment. No, we have the Spirit who was there. And now, He's empowering us to live a life worthy of the call. He's empowering us to, to when we look in that rearview mirror, we, we see a depth and we have an experience of the depth of that power and we say now nothing we can, I think we can say in confidence and humility that nothing that we face is too hard. 
whether it be a relational conflict or strife, whether it be uh, a suffering, physical suffering, emotional suffering, whether it be financial suffering, nothing is too difficult then. Why? Because we have the Spirit who says, I was there, and you have me in my fullest. I think we have the Spirit in the f- fuller way than even David did. So I'm reading the story of David and Goliath last night to my kids. We have that spirit more. So for me, I just need to stop my whining and complaining and start trusting because I like to whine and complain. Even if it's in my own head, I whine and complain, but we have a spirit who says, I was there. And there's a great mighty working that takes place in us and it's for our good, for God's glory, which he worked in Christ. And I think there's... uh, Within the work of Christ that the Holy Spirit's working in us is a, is a power for humility and sacrifice. We find that in Philippians chapter 2. That was Christ, and he had a power of the Spirit that allowed him. I heard uh, Peter years ago say that God used, Jesus used his power to not use his power while he was on the earth. He had to restrain himself, so he used his power to not use his power. But he, he disrobes And he comes to the earth as one of us, lives a perfect life, and goes to the cross, dies for us, for the the punishment that we all deserved placed on him. So we wouldn't have to. We wouldn't have to experience that. I tell my kids that Jesus took hell for us, so we wouldn't have to go there. I think everything he experienced, the loneliness, the separation, the pain, the suffering, the burning sensation that he had, You don't need fire to burn. He experienced hell for us, so we wouldn't have to go there. There's a great working for that humility and sacrifice to be displayed through us as well. That we're not looking to count ourselves uh, with equality with Christ. We're looking to serve and sacrifice. But Paul's praying for a power for life and victory over death. As God raised Christ, he's going to raise you on that last day. Death will not have the final say in your life. He will have the last word. God will have the last word. It will be a glorious word. It will be a word of life and victory. But we get to experience the reality and the power of that today as we walk out the Christian life. And I think Paul's also praying for power, the same power that's exalted Christ, for for that to be experienced by us. Because we we see that uh, in verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What's Paul pointing toward? There was a power that not only raised Christ, there was a power that restored him to his rightful place. At the place of honor, right beside the Father. The place that, that Jesus existed in before he came down to the earth. He takes his robe off, his kingly garments, he comes down, he humbles himself. He becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and then he's exalted. When he's raised from the dead, he's exalted, and he takes that robe that was kind of maybe just laying still on the throne. He takes it, he puts it back on, and he sits down. As if the, the cosmic culmination and declaration of, it is done. That is the power that has exalted him. We get to be caught up in that. We get to experience that. Humble yourselves before God. At the proper time, he will exalt you. 
See, I know it's, it's difficult for us to think about exaltation, our own personal exaltation, because we're fighting those thoughts all the time, because we like to be exalted, and we like to exalt ourselves, so we try to figure out ways, manipulate ways, and position ourselves to be exalted by other people and ourselves. So sometimes we, we have to kind of, all right, wait, there, there's a pure way, there's a holy exaltation that we, I think we ought to be thinking about. Because if we, humility is an elusive thing. You pursue humility, but as soon as you think you have it, you don't have it. Oh, I think I'm pretty humble. No, I'm not. Just struck that right in the heart. Nope. So it's, it's I think to, to pursue humility is dangerous. I think we pursue Christ, and we'll find that humility is the result. I think that's, what, that's the purpose is for us to pursue Christ and all that he is in his glory and in his exaltation. Because if, if we're just pursuing, Lord, I just need, I, humble, I want to humble myself like Christ. I see that in Christ. I want to emulate that. But there's a way that we can say, Lord, you're to exalt me too. What does that mean? How is that? Well, I think that's part of Paul's next uh, aspect of prayer. He prays for a depth of the experience of Christ's exaltation. Jesus has been raised and now sits in authority over all things. Lest we think that our circumstances are beyond his authority or control or too insignificant for his control. I think that's where most of us, God's not paying attention to this because this is just ridiculous and I'm being ridiculous. And No, Paul is saying in that moment, you have to realize Christ is your king and you bow your knee to him and you confess him in that moment when your button is pushed and you'll discover the character of God coming in you. He is in control of it all, even far above all. There's nothing that's beyond his, his eye, nothing beyond his control, nothing too insignificant for him to intervene, for him to say, I'm displaying Christ through this situation. And God looking to form us in Christ through every situation. Good, bad, ugly. God's looking to form Christ in us through all of our experiences. He's in control of it all. And Paul's praying for the Ephesian believers to know deep down this exaltation that he has been given the name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. What? He's Lord. He's Master. He's in control. He's my king. And I'm bowing down to him yet again. And, and Paul's looking for them to understand Jesus is the head of the church. And he's the head of the church and he fills the body. The church is his body. And Paul's getting ready to uh, unfold this in chapter 3, the mystery of, of Christ and the church. And he alludes to it in chapter 5 when he talks about the, the, uh, the husband-wife relationship and how it's a display of the mystery of Christ and his church. But he's saying, church, you're filled with Christ. Where is Christ? He's exalted. That's where we're filled with him. And that's the, the exaltation that we get to experience as being a caught up with Christ as we are experiencing the every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Where is Christ exalted? In heavenly places. And there's a reality, though it is a, a, a faint understanding that we have and revelation that we're just asking, Lord, give me greater revelation in this. I, I think of it in a way that um, as we 
As we experience the exaltation of Christ, what we experience mostly is being known by the Father. You know, all of us and, and um, all of us want to be known by somebody famous. I mean, you, you, can, you might have more self-control than other people, but if you meet somebody popular or famous or something, it's kind of like, hey, that's pretty cool. I just met that person, and, and that person wrote a book, and I was able to talk to him, and you know, I, I tell uh, the teenagers that I was able to meet John Piper in an airport in Louisville uh, with Keith and Peter and Matt. We were just thanking him for the influence of his writings that has had such a huge effect in our seeing God, in our hearts being enlightened, and for our uh, our ministry and loving people has been affected by him. We're able to do that. And I, I tell the kids, you know, I got to meet John Piper, but I can't text him right now. What's up, John? What's happening? What you doing? Preparing for church? Praying for you, bro. <laughs> but there, there's, in all of us, we want to be connected in that way. We want to have something that would be Hey, that's, even if it's on the other end, oh, no, I've never known anybody famous. No, yeah, you do. It's just, your mouth just betrayed you. <laughs> you wanted them to say, if you put it in the negative light. Here's the reality. Jesus, who has risen from the dead, seated at God's right hand, knows your name. That's how you participate in his ex exaltation, because everybody will know his name. And as his name is known through us, we participate in that exaltation. The life, the holy and blameless life that we live, being separated and coming out of the world and, and living in a way that's proclaiming Christ, we participate in His exaltation. And it satisfies our souls. But the work of all that He has done first has to go deep within us. Being known by the Father gives us peace. It gives us security in Him. And I think finally there's a prayer for a faithful perseverance that Paul is praying, uh, I think overarching. Paul prays, and we have another prayer uh, in the end of chapter 3. We find Paul in his letters, he's just coming out with these prayers. And, and I think uh, the pastoral heart, the father heart, that he's praying for his children in the faith, so to speak, is one for a faith-filled and faithful perseverance because we have a walk ahead of us. He's saying, have God's work in the rear view. Have all that he's done because it's going to fuel your walk. And as, as it goes deep and the buttons are pushed, you'll respond Christ-like. You'll respond with Jesus himself participating in his exaltation. Whenever we are not having these things dug down deep, we don't have the cross before us, and it, even though it happened behind us, we don't have it before us, it leads to self-effort and ultimately self-justification before God. But we know the righteous shall live by faith. The walk that we live in and where Paul takes this in the last, in chapter 4, 5, and 6, there's a walk ahead of us. There are there are commands that we're to be walking out. There's obedience that we need to be doing as children of God. But if we, if we don't have God's work fueling us, we're going to fall flat. We're going to have every, all the thorns that come up. It's going to choke everything out. But if the seed goes into a deep, a good soil, but goes deep into that soil, when it's watered, it produces fruit 60, 90, 30, 60, 100 fold. That's where we're looking for fruitfulness. Paul's praying for fruitfulness that comes when it is the experience 
of the purchased reality of his power and of Christ's exaltation. Let's pray together. Lord, how do we thank you for your work on our behalf? We didn't ask you. We weren't looking for you. But you came and you sought us. You won us over with your love. You've adopted us. You've redeemed us. You've reconciled us to yourself. You've forgiven our sins. And now we have peace with you. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit resident inside of us. We have your presence always with us. God, we want to visit your presence. We want to dwell with you. We want to abide in you. But most of all, Jesus, we want you to shine through us. So please, may we, may we get who you are deep within us. And may it be expressed gloriously through us. We love you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the purchased reality that we get to experience the depths of for all eternity. Thank you that 10,000 years into heaven, we're still going to be amazed. We're still going to be having, having you reveal yourself to us and reveal the depth of your work for us on our behalf. God, we want to start now. And we can't wait for that day when it continues, unhindered by errant thoughts and distractions. Jesus, get deep within us. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.